Let's read through chapter 7 together, please. But if the last chapter ended poorly, that would be very encouraging. But if the last chapter ended well, but is a bad word. Unfortunately, the last chapter ended very well. We saw a tremendous victory. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Racham, the son of Karmi, the son of Zavdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Avon, which is on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. We like to call it Ai, as if somehow it just doesn't seem like it's enough to say Ai, but it's Ai. It should be that small. And they returned to Yeshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shevarim and struck them down on the ascent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the Lord, before the ark of the Lord until evening. And the elders of Israel, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. But Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? Deliver us, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up. Sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel. There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. 
You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who was taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. Which, by the way, you might have guessed is a very effective, effective way of burning someone. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribes of Judah, of the tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zaharites, or the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man and Zavdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Karmi, the son of Zavdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah was taken. Now Yeshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Nachan answered Yeshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Yeshua said messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and the children of Israel, and laid them before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel took with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, donkeys, sheep, his tents, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Will you pray with me, please? God, I just pray tonight for my heart and every heart here. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to hear everything you want to say to us individually tonight. And I pray tonight that there would be a depth of seriousness in my heart and in every heart here. A very sobering as we look at this text. I know we love those texts where everything seems so happy and joyful and totally victorious. And, and here we see the stark contrast But I pray, Lord, that we would not drift off and 
somehow look somewhere else than our own hearts tonight, me included. Help us to hear what you want to say to us, Lord. In there is victory. And there is joy. And in there is that peace that we want. But God, I pray tonight that we would walk out of here encouraged. Challenged but encouraged. Blessed and strengthened in our faith. With a clearer view of you. And you tell us in Romans that we're to consider the kindness and your sternness. And I think we really would rather just watch your kindness. But Lord, you are holy. And you do not have a problem making that clear. So Lord, speak to us. Captivate us in your word. And bring that depth that you only you can bring to speak to each of us tonight now. In Jesus' name. I would say tonight as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Don't just assume it's true because my, I'm, you know, I have a, the name pastor or whatever. The book of Joshua is a book of battles. And of all of the battles that take place in the book of Joshua, actually it's the first half primarily, there will be Victory after victory after victory. But God highlights three specific battles here in these chapters. Chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 are chapters about three very specific, distinct battles. As if God were to make sure that we recognize these. I mean, he could have just said that, that he came in, and as Joshua came in, that all of a sudden they won all of these, you know, they just won could have made it all one chapter long and then we could have said well and then they had to divide the land but he didn't what i do find interesting is in all of the battles that have been fought that will be fought in joshua these three specific ones the last one won't even look like a battle that's part of the battle Uh, and then all of the kings gathering in the north and south to be fought as well this is sort of cutting through the middle three distinct uh issues and then dealing with the north and south Uh, in all of those battles only there's there's only one loss in the entire book are you aware of that Of all the battles that are fought, only once do they lose. Of all the battles that are fought, only once do we have any recorded death. And it's here. So I don't want to skip past this as if this were something kind of light, jovial, and like we're kind of digging through Bambi here. This is very, very serious. Because had this not happened, this particular book would be only victories. There would be no defeats other than this one. And if this one were removed, it would just be victories. It's a bit fascinating to consider the fact that one person was responsible. One person and their lack of consecration was responsible for at least the death of 36 people. But please understand, it didn't come without warning. In the last chapter, we read that the Lord brought victory because Joshua Because the Lord was with him. And that's the real fundament here, is that God was with him, and so there was victory. And what we see actually is the opposite here. And that's going to be the point. There was only one defeat in the book of Joshua, and it was avoidable. There was only once where we see casualties, 36 as we see here, and it was avoidable. Oddly enough, in a place called Ai. Ai 
means ruins. Interesting. Heap of ruins. And the base word is a word that means crooked or perverted, twisted or bent. In the last two chapters, God has addressed our first battle. It was a battle against what would seem impossible. Do you remember those battles you fought at one time that you thought were impossible to win? And he gives us the craziest advice. His command was to march around this particular impervious city for seven days and on the last day shout after at least three and a half hours of just marching around while the trumpeters are trumpeting and the walls are going to fall down flat and then just move forward and get everything. But, if you look back in Joshua chapter 6, and if you're in your Bibles, go back to Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, and he says, And you, speaking with the army, by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse. And do you see the word trouble there? Do you see that word? The word trouble, will you say, achar? Try that. Achar. Achar is the word for trouble. Achar, acha, and achan are all from the same root word to trouble. Guess you should have saw it with a guy named Achan, which means trouble. Literally, troubler. Troublemaker. By the end of this chapter, we'll see that they put a pile of stones on him in a place called the Valley of Achor. Same root word, Achar, Achan. Do you see that? And it means the Valley of Trouble. Trouble, Achan, or, you know, Achar, trouble. Troubler, Achan. That's the idea. In chapter 6, verse 18, he says, don't take of any of it. Verse 19, he says, but the silver, the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron that are, are, notice the word consecrated there, consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And you say, oh, well, that's neat. God gets all the good stuff. Please hear me. In our first battle, it is a battle over faith. And that's exactly what we read in 1 John. In 1 John, he tells us about one of those battles and the victory that comes from it. And John says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's 1 John 5, 4, by the way. Understand, one of the battles you will face for the rest of your life, and me too, is the world. And now I'm not talking about you, it's you against the world, and you know everyone's going to team up and they've got their guns pointed at you. I'm talking about the system of the world. The system of the world that makes everything about you. And that's really kind of what we start with here. And that becomes the problem. Is The first battle is a battle of the world, and it's a battle of self-reliance. That's the problem. Self-reliance. Rely on yourself. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to follow your heart. It's all about you. You've got to make it happen. And every other religion other than Jesus will be that still based on that same world system. You are the one responsible to make it happen. You've got to perform, you have to initiate, you have to do your things, and if you do enough things, maybe the decision will be favorable. And understand, that battle can only be won by faith, because faith is the opposite. On one side, the world says, rely on yourself, and you have to tell people that a God that they can't see is who you're trusting. And a guy that you love, that lived 
thousands of miles away, thousands of years ago, you have a personal relationship with, that He speaks to you, but you don't hear voices. It should sound crazy if it weren't true. So I understand why trying to explain something like that to a person that's trying to reason faith doesn't make any sense. In the end of it all, you just got, you're going to have to trust. It doesn't mean it's, it's completely foolish. It's the opposite of foolish. But it will appear very unreasonable as much as walking on water should. And in that first battle, understand in each of the battles, before we got to those battles, there was a four-step process. And please hear me. For every one of these battles, we will find the necessity of these things. The first is consecration. And the idea of that is, let's get into separating ourselves unto the Lord. Everything I am is yours, God. That's the idea. That's how we start. The place where they go, once they've crossed the Jordan, is Gilgal, which means rolling away because the second generation was circumcised there to consecrate these guys unto the Lord. We are not going into battle with unconsecrated men. And the idea of it is, all that I am and have is yours, God. That's how the battle starts. But once that happens, we move from consecration to communication, where we start asking God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? You may have the very best intentions now, but you still got to do it God's way, and it's very likely God's way will make no sense to you. Or it'll make less sense than a way you probably already devised that God's quick to rule out because, to be honest, you'd get the credit if it happened. So we go from consecration to communication to the third thing, which is congregation, where we call people together and say, hey, this is what the Lord's spoken. I'm going to need some help with this. Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me in this? So we have decent accountability. Not just to not do, but to do what's right. And then finally, we get to that, spa- that space where we actually start seeing it, you know, we start seeing it now put into place. And so, so hear me in this, because when we see this battle and the problem with it, please hear me in this, we didn't get past the first step. The reason why this defeat happened is because we lost our consecration. And we did it through the second battle. So it's consecration, communication, Congregation and then initiation. We initiate it. Let's get it. Let's make it happen. So when battle one, we have the battle against the system of the world. That me relying, self-reliance. That's where it comes to. This battle, by the way, I'd like to point out a couple really quick things. One is, notice it seemed really, to be honest, no great threat. Did you notice that? It seems so little of a threat that when the spies were sent, that they were like, this really isn't that big of a deal. I don't know why you're making such a big deal about it. This really isn't that big of a deal. I think I've got this one nailed. I really don't need to call out the whole army. Let's just call out two or 3,000 guys. In Numbers 1 and 26, when the army is counted, there are roughly 600,000 men that can fight. What we got in Joshua chapter 3, by the way, verses 12 and 13, is that though 136,930 of the men were these two and a half tribes that were going to be on the east side, 
only 40,000 of them, 29%, showed up to fight. So even on the, the two and a half tribes on the other side that were kind of keeping their end of the bargain were coming in to fight, even they weren't too much. Let's just pull in two, 3,000 guys. Because the town only has two letters, it's called a heap of ruins. How bad can it be? It will always seem less significant and unthreatening and that will cause me to sequester very little effort. And that is a sure route to defeat. Walk through it with me now as we go through this chapter. Verse 1 says again, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, and we got a person's name and a family line. Did you notice that? Did you realize, and of course you're probably aware of this, nobody sins in a vacuum. The moment you decide you want to do something, and in this case, understand, it's just like this guy took this stuff for himself, and yet at least two, 3,000 men are going to experience defeat. The whole Israel is going to be shamed. And 36 men roughly are going to die. Because when he said, don't take any of this stuff, he meant it. Hear me on this, hear me on this. That battle of the world, the world system that we see in this first one, the very thing that we read, by the way, in 1 John chapter 5. Is there are going to be things God has given you that will cause you to excel in the world. Talents, skills, socially, intellectually, artistically, whatever they are. And here's the point of it. He says, listen, it isn't that it's all just going to burn. None of it's for you now. This battle, none of it's for you. So this is what I'm telling you to do. Anything that's of value in this system, I want you to give it to me now. That's what God's saying. So when I look at it, I think, well, what do I have? Well, you probably know better. Well, you surely know better than I do. But what do you have that you think might flourish in the world system? In that you first kind of thing. In that rely on yourself. What is it you would rely on that would help you rely on yourself? Your intellect, your charm, your social skills, your abilities, your strength, your youth, your cuteness, whatever it is. God says, listen, if it's good, hand it to me now because I want to use it. I want it to be consecrated unto me. Because if you keep it, it's going to, be, it's going to look like the curse. It's going to come from the curse. Because isn't that what happened in the garden? When a troubler was in the garden causing people to try to overthrow or rise above the God who gave them hope and grace and gave them honor. Interesting. Because if I look at this, this is what I read. By the way, notice, and, and, and again, we'll try to kind of point out a few of these things as we kind of move through, but listen, one of the things is, did you notice here that though this is happening, it appears as if Joshua is unaware of it. Israel, he says, is a whole committed trespass because he saw one person. And this one person, according to this, now instead of of handing it to God, now it looks more like it's cursed. When it's yours, it's cursed. When it's his, it's consecrated. Let me say that again. When it's yours, it's cursed. When it's his, it's consecrated. And it says, the man's name is Achan. And I remind you, Achan means troubler or troublemaker. Carmi, and when I hear the term carmi, I think of like the Muppets. Carmi! That's obviously not the case. 
But kanami, interestingly enough, means in the garden. Or of the garden. Zavdi, as we see here, and please understand, this is part of the power to me. Zavdi means gives, or he gives. Zara means to rise over, or rise above, to rise up, or to rise up against. And finally, Yuda means praise or honor. You could read this if I were to say, Echan Chadmi Zavdi Zera Yuda is the troubler in the garden, gives a rising up over the giver of praise or over the honorer. Hmm. Because when we see it later, it's going to go the other way around. He took this thing, and notice in verse 2 that they didn't go back to the camp where they were consecrated, Gilgal. Notice it says Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Did you notice that? Did you notice that they had just come from this great victory and they were just like, well, let, we just kind of kick some serious rear end. Let's just keep moving forward. But they didn't set aside to consecrate and therefore didn't communicate with God to say, how do you want us to do this? And therefore didn't do any of these steps. They just kind of figured, I've just won one good battle. And because I've won one good battle, let's just move to the next. Well, let me just remind you, you didn't win a battle. You enjoyed the victory of the battle. He won the battle. The reason that they were victorious, God told us in the last chapter, is because God was with them. It tells us the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel, but then it says Joshua sent men from Ai, from Yerko to Ai, and he gives us some more places. It says it's beside Bet Haven. Bet means house, Haven means, well, really, in honesty, vanity, and emptiness, worthlessness. On the east side, of the house of God. Bet El, like Elohim, means the house of God. So somewhere we're looking at some place that, that has these two landmarks, the house of emptiness and the house of God, and in between is a heap of ruins. You get it? Which one are we going to side with? The vanity or God's house? So he spoke to them and said, go spy out the country. And the men went out and searched out Ai. Now notice, the only people who are bringing communication then in are going to be the spies now. Not God. Not Joshua calling command other than this. Go find out. Let's move forward. So they returned and said, this really isn't that big of a deal. To be honest, let's just take a little bit out, a little bit of effort. This thing's going to be ours. Verse Four, four says, so about 3,000 men went up from there, but they fled. And the men of Ai struck down 36 men. About 36 men. And they chased them as far as the gate that is as far as Shevarim. Can you say Shevarim? Do you realize that Shevarim also means ruins? But it's a different kind of ruin. The first ruin was a ruin by being crooked perverted, twisted. The second ruin we see here is ruined because it's broken or fractured. And it's interesting because at this place, that's what the people's faith are going to do. They went to a place 
And they thought, in their own strength, I can handle this. This is simple. This is not a big deal. I'm sure it'll never happen to me. Piece of cake. Happens to other people, but I know it won't happen to me. Verse 6 says, Joshua tore his clothes. He fell on the earth before the Lord, the ark of the Lord, until evening. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust in their heads as a sign of mourning. Did you notice, by the way, Joshua's going to actually make it as if God was the one who brought the defeat? It's interesting when we actually think that the victory is our doing, we'll still blame God for the defeat. He says, God, why'd you do this? Why'd you bring us over the Jordan so miraculously just so that we could fail like this? It would have been better if we never crossed. And I want to warn you, when the, con- when the camp is unconsecrated, we will look back romantically at a place we hated, but it doesn't look so bad at the moment because we're staring in the face of a really, really bad loss. And we know that other people are suffering because of it. But notice he turns it to concern for God. And he says, listen, if we all die like this, we can, we, I mean, I don't think you're going to cross the Jordan to get us back over. So this is it for us. We're trapped now. And if these guys kill us all, then, who's going to, then how are you going to make your name great then? Notice that God doesn't play mollycoddle with them. And I do like the way he says it here. He just says, get up. What are you doing? Why are you weeping like this? The problem is not me, Joshua. The problem's your camp. You need to recognize what's taking place. Do you know why the people lost? Notice what it says in verse 11. Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant. And understand the term transgress means that there is a line and you consciously step past it. This is not an accidental thing. A transgression means that there is a place and you know it's, you're not supposed to be there, but you took the choice to step there anyways. Did you notice that he makes clear that he calls sin and transgression of his covenant two different things? Did you notice that? Sometimes what will happen, and I want to be honest in my own life, that sometimes I could do something really stupid. And, 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 and I have to be careful to ask myself, is this something where I simply need to go before the Lord and say, God, please forgive me. I've been stupid. You're right. It's wrong. It's sin. And I'm dealing with it with you. But then the question that I have to ask is, have I sinned against anyone else in the process? Because that's an entirely different. That's the transgression of his covenant here. He says, listen, there's a sinning and then there's a transgression against my covenant. And notice he says, and also, which means these are two very different things to him. He looks and goes, it's one thing for you to step past. And I said, don't step past it. And you step past it. But there's another thing to say, look at you have completely. This is more than just you and me right now. This is you. This is this man and other people. He has brought the, he's, he has brought more shame on the people because he has, in essence, deconsecrated the camp. And we can say, well, you know what? I got it right with God. But is there anyone else I've sinned against in this process? Is there someone else I need to go, you know what? You're right. I need to make this right with you now. And in this case, God says, listen, they've taken some of the things that were cursed, they've stolen, and they've deceived. 
But wait a minute. How, were they, how have they deceived people? Did they deceive by telling everyone that they didn't do it? Do you realize? Because this is a really tough thing to address. Because every one of us want to do this. Do you realize God makes clear what this guy did was nothing. What he didn't do was say something. And God called that deception. You ever go, well, I didn't say anything, so it isn't technically a lie. Because like this guy deceived, and the way that he deceived was he did this and he didn't tell anyone. He didn't say, hey, you know what, this is wrong, and now let's get it dealt with rightly. This guy was silent, and because he was silent, that was a sin in his deception. They put it in their own, among their own stuff. You're not going to sin against God and get away with it. We know that. Now, it tells us in Scripture, he who seeks to cover up his own sin will never prosper, but whoever confesses it and forsakes it will find mercy. Oh, I love that verse. How about you? But I also recognize it tells us that if I've sinned against a brother, I need to make sure I get that right too before I ever offer a gift at the altar. Therefore, verse 12, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. But I turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with them anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Which one of you wants to be Joshua at this moment? Hey, it's one thing to lead people in a battle against people who are obviously your enemies. And it is another thing to turn into the camp itself and say, we need to do some purging here. Because the problem is, how many people does Achan know? How many people are in Judah that are part of this tribe or even part of his family or part of his neighborhood or part of the people? What interface has he had with other people? What friends has he made? How many people like his stuff on Facebook? How many times when he throws out an Instagram are other people actually checking it out or when he tweets something or whatever, how people are like, oh, I love your stuff and I love it when you... I mean, how many people has he texted? How many people are in his friend base? The question I say, the reason I say that is, is that there is defeat, but it's like Joshua has to step in and God didn't say, let's just kind of make this thing simple. I'm going to make it really clear who it is and when I make it really clear who it is, you're going to have to drop the gavel on this. But when you drop the gavel on this, notice God never says, by the way, I want to warn you people that you're going to get some backlash and people are going to freak out because Joshua already knew that. And you know how Joshua already knew that? Because he had to deal with, remember the sons of Korah? Do you remember that? Do you remember Korah and his family? Do you remember those guys who have risen up? And then then, God's like, okay, well, you know what? You're right. They're like, they say to Moses, who died and made you boss? And he's like, you know what? You're right. You know, what am I thinking? I tell you what, if, you know, if nothing happens tomorrow by tomorrow, we're all cool, then I guess you're right that I'm just being, that I'm just trying to be bossy. But, If something brand new happens and the earth opens up and swallows all of you guys, well, then clearly this is God. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay. And when the ground opens up and swallows them, then they're like, you killed God's people. How dare you do that? Funny. Do you think Moses made the ground open up like that? Do you think Moses had the power to make the ground open up like that? And here's the hard part. Joshua is stuck in a place now, think about it, where one of two things has to happen. One, he can back off from this situation, though God's going to make it happen anyways. But if, he's, if he backs off from this situation, there will never be another victory again. Are you aware of that? We're done with victories. Because God says, look at you are cursed, and I'm done with you unless you deal with this. 
I want to be here, and I want to bless you, but this needs to be dealt with. And though it seems like something that was done in a tent where nobody else saw, it still deconsecrates the camp. I don't know about you, but that puts fear in my heart. I think, is there anything in my life that needs to be dug up, that's in the dirt, but it's dug deep, that I'm planting? And here's the problem. It's something that I've kind of covered up, you know, it's like, it's kind of cool, you know, no one's going to know it's still just something in my house. But I know that it's wrong. And I know that it's wrong, and it's still there. I wonder what would have happened if the day before this, Khan said, whoa, 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 you know what? This is stupid, and he got rid of this stuff. Would they have lost the battle? Well, notice verse 13, the term. He says, get up now and sanctify the people. Do you remember what our first step of those four in the battle was? Consecrate. And the root word is the same. Sanctify is the word kadash. And kadash, like kadosh, which means holy, means to dedicate or to consecrate. Consecrate the people. It's not translated consecrate, and I think probably because then we would think they were going to be circumcised again. And the idea of it is I want their hearts back open again because we know that our hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And he says, listen, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves because tomorrow I've got to, I'm going to make this thing, I'm going to make this clear who this is. So, in the morning, I want you to bring everybody forward. A couple million people are going to stand before you, Joshua. And when a couple million people stand forward, we're going to pull a tribe out of that. One of the twelve. And then when we pull a tribe out of that, we're going to pull a family. And when we pull a family, we're going to pull a household. And when we pull a household, we're going to get the guy. So you need to be ready for that. Because when it happens, it's downtime. It's done. And this is going to need to be dealt with in a very harsh way. Verse 16 tells us that Joshua got up early. I don't know how much Joshua slept that night. How much would you have slept? When you know you have to do something and God's made it clear. I wonder if Joshua had, was just filled with righteous indignation or whether Joshua was filled with a broken heart. Do we know if Joshua even knew this guy ahead of time? We don't know. I do know this. He's going to know him in a moment. Verse 16 says, Joshua rose early in the morning and he brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken again. I I remind you, praise or honor. Praise or honor. And he brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zaharites. The Zaharites. And I remind you, that's the giver. And it says then that he brought the family of the Zavdi's man by man and Zavdi was taken. Zavdi, I remind you, means he rises over or he raises up. They brought him household by man and he goes, and he skips dad for a minute and goes right to the troubler. In the first list, when we looked at it at the top, it was the troubler of the garden rises over the giver of honor or praise. Now we read it this way. 
the honor giver rises up over the troubler of the garden. And what's the difference? This is being dealt with. So Joshua says to Achan in verse 19, I beg you. And that tells me that Joshua is dealing with this with a broken heart. I don't know if Achan would notice that. But could you imagine? Could you imagine if Joshua even said there was defeat in this camp because of one person and you were that person? Would you say anything? Or would you stay silent? Then the tribe of Judah is taken. Would you stay silent? Or would you speak? And then the Zarhites are taken. Would you be silent? Or would you speak? And Zavdi was taken. And it's getting smaller and smaller. And your world is getting smaller and smaller. And finally, it's just you. And you're staring at Joshua. And Joshua doesn't say, you big fat jerk. Could have. But he doesn't. But he says, I beg you. Could you imagine the man in charge begging someone? You know what's interesting? In Genesis chapter 6, we read it this way. That God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. The term strive is the word beam, like Mr. Beam. And beam means beg. I think that's interesting. That all of those people who were going to drown, God had begged them before that. What an interesting thought that the one who runs the universe, who could just zap us, begged through his spirit. Here, I beg you, would you give glory to God, the Lord God of Israel? Confess. But if the guy is going to die anyways, why should he confess? If he's going to go down, and you know, the other side of it is, well, come on, I've confessed. I guess I shouldn't be punished. But this was not Joshua's choice to make. But if you're going to go down, at least go down with a clear conscience. Go down clean. You know, when David sinned against Bathsheba, David, of course, not only sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against her husband, had him killed. You're familiar with the story. He sinned against those that actually called to get her to him. He sinned against them too. He sinned against his nation. He sinned against his family. But nobody seemed to say anything except God. And David would say, when I kept silent, my bones grew dry like dust like the drought of summer. David was wasting away. He says, my vitality was zapped. 
So when God sends Nathan to bust David, you know what's fascinating? Because I believe the reason God did that more than any other was for David. Because if God did not send Nathan, David would have died. He would have dried up and died. Now David had married Bathsheba by this point, so there was no more legal sin taking place. Though he had murdered her husband, things had seemed like they had gone to a place now where there was no current sin happening that we could see. But it wasn't right. And God was going to deal with it. So when God sent Nathan, he did it because he didn't want David to die dry. Interesting, because at some of those times where something like that happens, the last thing we think is that God's doing this to bless us. And yet in all of that, to be honest, God did this. And this is the difference. When David says, when I kept silence, my bones grew dry, my vitality was drained like the drought of summer. And yet David would say in Psalm 52, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. David had so swept in there. And then he says something strange. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And you say, now how in the world did that be? He sinned against all of these other people too. But see, the point was, is that only God was still willing to call it a sin. That's the point. David, because he says that you would be true when you judge. In other words, though the entire world and even God's people had said it wasn't so bad, and let's just face it, whatever you want to do, you will find enough websites to validate it so you can think that you're okay, but it doesn't mean it's going to change God's mind. You can say, well, this is cool because Professor so-and-so and this guy from this clinic or this institute said so, or we could just go a little bit more local and say, if we could present our case to enough friends, and then somehow, though we were the perpetrator, now we're the victim. We're like, oh, people are just so mean. I don't understand. Christians eat their weak, and look at what's happening here. But what's clear is that David had sinned not only against God, but he had sinned against the people, and he was going to pay in both places. And though God had forgiven him, had God not forgiven him and all of these things went down, David would never have made it. But it's as if David was willing to take the consequences simply because he knew he was forgiven. And though he was forgiven by God, there were still things that would happen. Because when David passed his judgment on the situation that Nathan brought in as sort of a trap, if you will, he actually said that you needed to restore fourfold for the situation. And that's exactly what he winds up doing himself. He will pay fourfold. Well, please hear me in this. Josh was looking at this person. He's like, I beg you, please. Die with a good conscience. Though this thing is going to be rough on you, it's clear for a moment. Get right with God. You say, well, I, I, I believe I have. This poor guy dragged his whole family in this thing. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession to him. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Verse 20, Achan says then, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw the spoils of a beautiful Babylonian garment, 
200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the, in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Okay, I don't know about you, but the first thing that stands out is this guy is in a group of people that have been slaves for 400 years. Are we all aware of that, right? Though they've been slaves for 400 years, this guy nicks a garment. Where in the world is he going to wear a Babylonian garment? Have any of you thought of that? It's like we are all, we've basically all been living on, you know, we've been kind of like all living on something where Primark looks rich to us, and this guy nicks an Armani suit. It isn't like anyone's going to ask, where'd you get those Italian shoes from? Oh, these old things? I haven't inherited. One of the Egyptians gave it to me. Really? What are you going to do? And it's amazing how you can take something that doesn't, in the end of it, you can't even do anything with it. But you just want it because nobody else has it or because, oh, I've never been able to have one of those. But then the other two things have a weight. 200 shekels, that's the silver. 50 shekels, that's the gold. Do you see that there in verse 21? I'm almost done. Do you see that? So you're like, yeah, what do you do? I don't get what that is. Consider a shekel to be roughly 15 grams. So if you think about that, that means 200 shekels times 15 grams is 3,000 grams. Or we might say, 3 kilos. This guy horked 3 kilos of silver. At the current rate, by the way, of 348 pounds 20 pence to kilogram, that means he stole 1,044 pounds 60 worth of silver. The gold, of course, is a little more expensive at 50 shekels. That's 750 grams. At 23 pounds, 5 pence a gram. That's 17,387 and a half pounds. Which means the total is roughly 18,332 pounds, 10 pence, is what he got. With 36 men... Dying because of this. Divided by 36. And that's the value of a man. Would your life, would you gladly have you and your family and all that you have killed for 18,000 pounds in a Babylonian garment and an Italian suit and a Prada dress? Would that be worth it for you? I know what you're thinking Matthew 16:26 What would it profit a man if he gains the world but loses his own soul? What can man give in exchange for his soul? Reiterated of course, restated in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark 8:36. But I think it's interesting the way that Luke says it. In Luke 9:25 he says, "For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and yet he himself is destroyed or lost?" If you're destroyed, what are you going to do with it? So the messengers ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the children of of Israel. And they laid them out before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel took Achan, I remind you that means troubler, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, 
his kids and all that he had. And he brought them to the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. And he says, why have you Achor us? Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And so all Israel stoned him with stones. They, buried them. they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over them a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And the name of the place is to this day called Valley of Achor, or Valley of Trouble. Listen. There's a valley with a big pile of stones with a group of people dead underneath it. And you say, that sounds so heavy, so punitive, so heartless. Because we're so quick to try to protect the victimizer and not see the victim. But you sit with, the, with 36 families who have lost their husbands, their fathers, because a man decided that he wanted a Babylonian garment and about 18 grand worth of stuff. Sit with them and tell me what you think. Now please hear me on this. Echan had the opportunity at least to confess. Sounds like he had the opportunity to assert that confession as they whittled down, but he never did until he was confronted face on. Don't let that happen to you. Here's the good news. The Lord is quick to forgive, but I want to warn you. Just because he forgives you does not mean that there aren't earthly consequences. You go out and you shoot a couple of people or you get drunk and you run over a couple of school children and then you confess it to the Lord. He will forgive you of your sin if because he's paid for it on the cross. But that doesn't mean you won't do jail time. And try to tell the judge, but Jesus has forgiven me. And he would say, well, I'm not Jesus. And that's, I'm at least glad that at least that judge would be clear on that. So there's two sides to this. There's the one that says, do you know the forgiver? The one that can forgive every nasty, filthy, rotten, horrible thing you've ever done. And me too, by the way. I wouldn't be standing here if I didn't believe wholeheartedly that Jesus forgives and he forgives it all. But, if you're in the place right now where there's still silver in your house that doesn't belong to you, so to speak. And again, I'm not saying we're taking a collection. That's totally not the point. There are things that God says, this is done now and I want it out of your house. But it's still there. I think tonight we need to do some house cleaning. Because I don't want in any way somebody to be hurt. I wish that my sin only hurt me. But I know this, even when I crawl into the flesh, everyone around me is going to suffer. And I never want to do that to people. There are times where I know I go on a long walk because I know I'm not in the frame of mind to be a blessing like I should be. And praise God, He doesn't let you crawl at those moments. Next week, we'll look at the victory to this. And here's the good news. We will see what this battle really plays out in our lives. But I think it's enough to see what it is here. So listen as we go to prayer. Have you accepted the gift of the forgiver? 
the one who gives honor and has overcome the troubler of the garden. See, the whole point of the troubler in the garden is the one who said, listen, this is all about you. Rely on yourself and, by the way, serve yourself. When my God chose to be completely selfless and die on a cross so that he could serve me and you. He died on that cross to pay for all of those sins and he rose again and rose over that troubler and says, who wants to accept this gift of forgiveness, of purity, not just a technical term where you go to heaven and God says you made it on a technicality, but to be perfect, holy, and consecrated unto him. Can you imagine that? Because that's what he's offering. But if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ tonight, are you willing to pray a dangerous prayer with me? And that is, God, if there's anything in my house that needs to be eradicated, eradicate it. And I remind you, they lost eye because of this. 36 men died because of this. Because they looked at something and went, it's really not that big of a deal. I've got this thing handled. I really don't need to come out of this with full force. I can sequester a real small bit of effort and this thing is like, you know what? This could never happen. There's no way. I'm totally immune to this. And I'm telling you, we're dealing with people who were clean for years that have now jumped off the wagon and it breaks my heart to watch this kind of thing by people that were so confident that there was no threat there. And they would have said with the, with the greatest of conviction, there's no possible way that could happen, but they were still right next to the flame and falling into it. While they were saying it to my face, they were dragging silver and Babylonian garments into their floor. And whether you want to or not, and I pray you would, I'm praying that that God tear up from the floor up anything that's buried that doesn't belong in my house. Because I'd rather hand it to Him and say, this is only good if it's yours anyways. And to try to wait and see how this affects you guys. I don't want to do that. Will you pray with me? Lord, I know that there's some weeks that we're here in your, in your text and it's just so joyful and it's so encouraging and it's all about these great things. But there are other weeks where I know that you are, we're told to consider your kindness and your sternness. And I just know, Lord, there are weeks where I, I just don't want to get so comfortable that I'm not serious about these things, Lord, that I could bury in my house and see defeat. And, it, and I'm sure it would take me by great surprise because somehow I just think it's a little thing and it's no threat at all. But Lord, I want to hate it so bad that I would come at it with all the force necessary. That I would fast and pray and get on my face and and. And Lord, remove myself as far from the Babylonian garments as possible. And I think of the house of vanity so close by, and I think, wow, that just sounds like that to me. And how easy it is to serve myself and to protect myself and to wedge things in such a way that I can rally up and just make it look like 
like even if I were to do horrible things, that it would really still be someone else's fault. But I want to claim responsibility and not serve myself. And so, Lord, I just pray. I give you right, Lord, of search and seizure in my house. And even if it's there because I've brought it a long time ago or whatever, Lord, I just, I just don't want it. I, and I'm not trying to, I want to hide it. I just want to, give, want to hand it all to you and say, Lord, take it all. Don't let it be anywhere near me. But rather, Lord, let me be in that place where I just love you and am consecrated unto you and fully in communication with you. And in that place, Lord, where I'm willing to draw other men and say, you know, let's do this together. Let's just seek God together and watch him grow. Lord, make me such a man. See if there be any wicked way in me. Purge, Lord, I pray. And lead me in the way of everlasting. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the question still remains, have you even accepted the gift of the honor giver? The one who died on the cross for us and rose again. And he offers us more than just forgiveness, though forgiveness is included. He offers us purity. A purity that doesn't cause us to run back to our filth. But even as we sing, our old life is crucified. That's no longer who we are. So tonight here in this room, if there are any who have yet to say yes to Jesus and his offer, I'm going to pray this prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask you to say amen. And this is it. God, I am a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, you have to punish that sin. But God, I do believe that you punished that sin on the cross of your son, Jesus the Christ, who died on that cross for me. Just like Scripture promised was buried, and on the third day, just like Scripture promised, He rose again. And with that now, I say yes. I say yes to that gift, declaring Him not just Savior, but Lord of my life. Eradicate from me anything that does not conform to You. May I live a life in trust of You, the faith that overcomes the world. May I seek now to walk in Your ways. First and foremost, in fellowship with you. For that's what you created me for. And Jesus is the way that that happens. So I say yes. So here I am, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.